Hello again and welcome to Here Comes Christmas for December the 3rd. And it's a big day today, isn't it? What's the big day today? Well, lockdown is lifted. Oh. I know it doesn't affect you at all. But <laughs> <laughs> Paul sits in front of his computer all day, every day. So it's nothing, nothing spectacular. But for a lot of people in the United Kingdom, it's going to be a very big day. I hope it is. Yes, mm. absolutely. So what's our theme for today? Well, I thought because of the lockdown being lifted, we'd think about shopping. Okay. And perhaps buying presents because they are talking today about the shops being open for 24 hours a day and people going absolutely mad. I never I never feel that need, really, to get up at three o'clock in the morning to go shopping. Mm. Okay, mm. staffing for 24 hours a day is going to be yeah, a challenge. Yeah, very, very expensive, isn't it? But it's good that both people who work in shops and people who own shops can now start to make a living again. So I thought we'd sing a little song to start off with. It's called Silver Bells. It's not ever so well known, but actually it has been used. It was used in Polar Express, which we talked about yesterday. And I think it's just a really beautiful little song. I'll tell you something about Silver Bells. Go on, and then I'll tell you something. And you can think about (laughs) it whilst you're listening to it. Oh, no. Um, Is it something awful? No, no. (laughs) So it was um, composed back in the 1950s by uh, Jay Livingston and Ray Evans. And they were very pleased with this song when they they wrote Mm. it. And Ray came home and told his wife all about it. However, when they first wrote it, they didn't use the title Silver Bells. They said they would call it Tinkle Bells. Okay. He came home and said to his wife, we've written a song called Tinkle Bells. (laughs) And she said, are you out of your mind? Do you realise what that means? (laughs) (laughs) So they changed the name. So you can think about that whilst you're listening to the song. City sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. In the air there's a feeling of Christmas. Children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile. And on every street corner you'll hear silver bells. Even stoplights blink a bright red and green As the shoppers rush home with their treasures Hear the snow crunch, see the kids bunch This is Santa's big scene And above all this bustle, you're here Silver bells Silver bells It's Christmas time in the city 
love that song Paul I really do and it, it reminds me of the 1980s when I used to conduct a big choir full of NHS staff in the Southern Derbyshire Health Authority and it was oh they they all loved it so much we started practicing in September and um, we'd either be in their the hospital canteen or the nurses quarters or there was a hospice just across the road and uh, we started singing carols in September and they all loved it. And it was in the days when they used to be really dressed up to the nines and all the nurses had wonderful hats and different hats and everything was um, decorated with tinsel and the doctors were all in their white coats and it was really a very impressive sight. And I arranged it for the first concert that I did with them. So I always think of them singing this song. So Silver Bells, then, that song basically is about the Christmas spirit of uh, capitalism, isn't it? <laughs> I suppose it is, yes. There's not very much that is noble about it in a way. So following on that theme, Pam Ayers wrote a poem called Merry Christmas, Give Us Your Money. And here's Chris to introduce it to you. It was Christmas Eve on a Friday The shops was full of cheer With tinsel in the windows And presents twice as dear A thousand Father Christmases Sat in their little huts And folk was buying crackers And folk was buying nuts All up and down the country Before the light was snuffed Turkeys they get murdered And cockerels they got stuffed Christmas cakes got marzipanned and puddings they got streamed. Mothers they got desperate and tired kiddies screamed. Hundred weights of Christmas cards went flying through the post with first class postage stamp on those you had to flatter most. With a million kitchens, mince pies being made on everyone's radio, White Christmas was played. Out in the frozen countryside, men crept around on their own, hacking off the holly, what other folks had grown. Mistletoe on willow trees was by a man wrenched clear, so he could kiss his neighbour's wife he'd fancied all the year. And out upon the hillside, where the Christmas trees had stood, all was completely barren but for little stumps of wood. The little trees that flourished all the year were there no more, but in a million houses dropped their needles on the floor. And out of every cranny, cupboard, hiding place and nook, little bikes and kiddies trikes were secretively took. Yards of wrapping paper was rustled round about and bikes were wheeled to bedrooms with pedals sticking out. Rolled up in Christmas paper, 
The action men were tensed, all ready for the morning when their fighting life commenced. With Tommy guns and daggers all clustered round about, Peace on earth, goodwill to men, the figures seemed to shout. The church was standing empty. The pub was standing packed. There came a yell, Noel, Noel, and glasses they got cracked. From up above the fireplace, Christmas cards began to fall and trodden on the floor said, Merry Christmas to you all. So here we are on the 3rd of December and uh, let's take a quick look back at what's happened on 3rd of December in years gone by. Today... Happy birthday, Ozzy Osbourne. I know, that's quite incredible, isn't it? Do you think when he was born, can you imagine Ozzy Osbourne as a little baby? I'm sure he was a cherub. Do you think so? It's very Christmassy, the Prince of Darkness. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what his mum would have said if she'd looked at this delightful little baby in her arms. Well, in many ways... vision of him. In many ways, Ozzy has... uh, Achieved a great deal. Uh, let's be fair. Um, I was a big Black Sabbath fan back in the 1970s. I think my taste has improved a little bit since mm. then. And uh, Black Sabbath, they sold over 100 million albums uh, under that name. And wow. that's uh, not counting all the, the things that Ozzy has done since then. So, uh, yeah, he's had a, an up and down career, <laughs> no doubt. I think his biggest achievement, frankly, is staying alive during that mm. period of time. But... Uh, I suppose he's an example of how you can have low times and you can bounce back, which is something that we're going to talk about quite a bit in the days to come. Sure. So his uh, career of late has uh, culminated in 2015. He got uh, a Lifetime Achievement Award from the British Academy of Songwriters, Composers and Authors. And uh, also he had a tram named after him in Birmingham. You can't go fairer than that. Birmingham was his hometown, so I think they just wanted to honour one of their sons. Yeah. Good old Aussie. Yep. What else happened on this day? Well, actually, it was very significant in 1967 because the first heart transplant took place in South Africa with Dr Christian Barnard doing the the deed. Huge, long operation. Um, I suppose a heart transplant is the thing which is a real win-lose situation, isn't it? There is no going back, but what a wonderful thing to do if you lose someone prematurely. It's a fantastic achievement, really, when you think about it. And it's also very relevant this year because in May of this year, the law was changed and you now have to opt out of giving your organs to transplant, whereas before you had to opt in. And I think this is a fantastic move. So Christian Barnard in South Africa, he was also a big opponent of apartheid. Right, yes. And uh, in his latter years, he also um, instituted the Christian Barnard Foundation, which was to help uh, underprivileged children. So there you are, Christian Barnard, a man after my own heart. That is a dreadful pun, um, but he was a really good, good chap, somebody we should all emulate. But there again, I don't think anybody should trust me 
with their heart. No. <laughs> I would trust you with my heart anytime. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet of you. OK. Moving on. We can, however, help other people in a smaller way. And my lovely cousin, Anna, decided um, just over a year ago that she was going to do something that was quite radical for, I was going to say a girl, a woman in her mid-50s. She was going to take an organiser sabbatical from work and uh, she was going to go over to the country of Rwanda to help with a charity called Hands Around the World. Big, big moment in her life, I think she will agree with me on that. And so I asked her what motivated her to go. Well, I looked around for quite a bit and it was quite hard to find a charity that didn't need me to be good at or qualified in something specific like being a teacher or an engineer or a a doctor or whatever. And eventually I came across an organisation called Hands Around the World, which is based in Monmouth, so actually not too far from Bristol where I live. And they um, would have loved to have had any of those um, professions with a capital P, but they also had a lovely volunteering role called an encourager, which um, I thought fit, fit rather well because it meant I didn't really have to be anything other than sort of wildly enthusiastic and prepared to turn my hand to anything so you worked in a school and yes so just just thinking about practical things that you took with you what did you take in order to sort of fire the children and enthuse them (laughs) that's a really interesting one because I've never traveled in what's um, condescendingly called the third world so I had no idea what to take and the only thing I could think of being quite a sporty family was a load of tennis balls they're incredibly attractive to look at because they're sort of bright yellow and whatever they're easy to transport and that's basically what I took was a whole load of tennis balls and I was able to sort of distribute them and I could sort of hide them in my rucksack because of course the minute they knew that you had something they would be all over you I can still remember the delight of a couple of children that I gave gave a tennis ball to I'll I'll never forget their total it was like I'd given them a nugget of gold you know it's just absolutely lovely and at the moment we're heading towards Christmas and we're going to have of course the usual feast of uh, present giving and, mm. and, and children around our area of the world will expect to get all sorts of delights on on Christmas day how does that contrast with what you're what you saw over there sort of breaks my heart to think of how children here expect you know everything (laughs) certainly everything on their list and the children in Rwanda although they would be aware of Christmas to a degree were just thrilled if you gave them a Malteser or you know a polo mint or Malteser is probably a very poor example because of course chocolate in that heat isn't the best Um, but or to be honest if you just chatted to them I mean you know, it's so simple. They were just thrilled that we showed any interest in them at all. And would anything, I think we had a, a thing, I'm just trying to know what it was that, oh, for some reason, slightly randomly, they they sold pretzels. I don't know why, because that's always a New York thing in my mind. But we did um, occasionally buy bags of pretzels for them and distribute them. And that that would have made their Christmas to have been given a bag of pretzels or even one pretzel on Christmas Day. So yes, the contrast is is incredible it's interesting isn't it because it's a christian 
country, well, it well, is. Christian organisation as it well. Is. So it's went with. Could you tell everybody a little bit about the church services that you went to and how many people went? Oh my! So it's very, very strongly a Roman Catholic um, country. And if anybody listening, watching this, has ever been um, in an African Roman Catholic country, then they will know that you need to clear your diary for at least three hours on a Sunday morning um, and just be in a service that completely transports you. It was truly extraordinary. We're talking 3,000 plus people going to these services, many, many of whom are standing outside well, actually in the heat, I was going to say in the rain, because it rains a lot in Rwanda as well, but I think the services we went to, and they're just remarkable acts of worship, really. And you know how sometimes I don't speak any languages at all, but I might go to a service in Italy or France or Spain and have some idea of the Mass and what's going on from the odd word, knowing a bit of Latin or whatever. Absolutely no flipping clue what the heck was going on in these services, apart from when we got to Communion. Which was always, which was obviously a, a physical manifestation of what we do, although slightly different um, in the way that you know we don't go up to an altar rail or anything. But one thing I will say, which was always lovely and also rather embarrassing, was that we went. There were probably about six of us that went fairly regularly, and they always had seats for, especially at the front, um, so everybody could see us. But it was also mortifying because there would be um, elderly particularly elderly women who were standing for hours and hours and probably walked 10 miles more, many of them, to get there. And we were just sitting on the bench and they were standing and that was awkward. And it's really difficult to know how how much to say, why do you have my seat? You know, whether that's a, a balance um, I got right, I don't know. But I do remember why I just couldn't bear it any longer. And I just said to this lady, please, I mean, she couldn't understand me, but she understood the gesture please take my seat and actually we just all squished up and she joined us but I it was it was just so felt to my western mind wrong for her to be standing so long bless her that's another lady I'll never forget yeah yeah and how long were the sermons well there's a question I would say eternity but (laughs) realistically 45-ish minutes of something and the the lovely thing is that people join in occasionally so he'd sort of randomly say the equivalent of alleluia in kinyawandan and they'd all say in kinyawandan the equivalent of alleluia back it wasn't that i wish i could remember what the word was so i think that was one way to keep people <laughs> engaged and awake was just sort of randomly drop in a, a little bit of repartee um, and eventually we got the hang of it and, and you went to join in as well <laughs> Well, hallelujah to that. And I think every time that Simon finishes a sermon, we all ought to say hallelujah. So long as it's not a three-hour sermon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So many thanks to Anna, who was absolutely fantastic, and you'll hear more from her um, in future days. But now we're going to hand over to Simon for his next instalment in the story of the Nativity. Our reading for this third day of Advent is Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Listen, said Gabriel, you'll become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. Now here's a question. 
What might be Mary's reaction to this news? She's going to give birth, and the baby is going to be the Son of God. This is my take. Yesterday I told you about Mary being an ordinary girl. There was nothing privileged about her. Today you hear that she receives a message, admittedly from the extraordinary God. What God asks of her is very ordinary. God simply invited Mary to continue with her plans which had already been made for her, to marry Joseph. Outwardly, her life would not change. But inwardly, in the secret places of her innermost being, as she gave herself to God the gift of her ordinary everyday life and the gift of her humanity, mysterious and awesome changes would take place. God would infuse this ordinariness with God's own divine energy and presence, which for Mary would come in the form of the divine fetus, the actual presence of Jesus. I think God wanted to give us, in other words give the world, the impression that it is ordinary for God to be born of a human creature. This is what is meant by the word incarnation, which I mentioned in my first Advent thought two days ago. Incarnation is a Hebrew word, the language of Israel, and means God with us. I would be surprised if Mary's not slumped in a chair or on the floor, looking totally bewildered, lost and scared. She's not only speaking with an angel, but now comes the even more humongous news. She's going to carry an unborn child for nine months, give birth to it, call it Jesus, and it's God's son. Now there's a very human, ordinary human reaction. Thanks to Simon. Next instalment tomorrow. Well, that's it today, folks. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with more fun and Christmas frolics. We will. Do Do we think we're getting any better? Possibly uh, not. Mm, well, we're working on it. Working uh, progress. There is, yes, yes, room for improvement. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got a joke before we leave, Paul? I'm glad you asked, actually. Mm. Right. So sticking on a religious theme, what did Adam say the day before Christmas? I don't know, Paul. What did Adam say the day before Christmas? It's Christmas Eve. That doesn't work on many levels. <laughs> <laughs> OK, what do they sing at a snowman's birthday party? I don't know. What do they sing at a snowman's birthday party? Freeze a jolly good fellow. <laughs> it's truly atrocious. What kind of motorbike does Santa ride? I don't know. A Holly Davison. Mm-hmm.